Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Well, good morning. It's an honor to get the opportunity to stand up here be, before you all, and, and uh, I appreciate it. The title of the, the sermon this morning is very basic. It's Lessons for New Believers and Old Ones, too. Is, is that showing up there? Yep, okay. And so... I want, to, I want to talk about lessons learned along the way. Pastor Ron said, is there something on your heart as he said it? And there has been. And, and it was just, I've been feeling like I wanted to share certain lessons that God has taught me along the way. And maybe I could pass them to some of you to prepare for the Christian journey. And... So I'm going to cover nine lessons. The first eight are going to go from the simple to the more complex. And then the ninth one is, is going to be about the Lord himself. So if we could, could you play that video for me? And... <laughs> what that was was a new guy, <laughs> and, and it did, you didn't hear the sound because it was low, but there's a guy back in the background saying, get another one, because they told this poor guy, get some air samples, <laughs> and so he's collecting air samples, a new guy, and, and you know what happens to new people, you know, sometimes people will, will trick us, and we've all been there, we've been the new person in a relationship, in a job, in a career, in a, you know, in a sport, a hobby, whatever. So they had this poor guy collecting air samples with a garbage bag. And I, I saw another one and I thought, well, I don't want to play two, but they had one where this guy at a, at a job was grinding something and the sparks were flying and they told this other new guy, he had to catch the sparks with a bucket. And this grinder went back and forth. So this guy's gone back and forth with the poor bucket, with the bucket, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's comical to us, but maybe not the new guy. But that's my first point. My first point is it's okay to be young or new in Christ. It's okay. And I have notes here because I, I saw one, uh, several pastors have said, you need to be able to preach without notes. That works for them, but it doesn't work for me. <laughs> so I, I have notes here. Besides that, I'm old. And uh, but let me ask you a question. Does it sometimes seem like everybody in your Bible study class knows all the answers? Have you ever watched others find Bible passages right away and you felt awkward because you couldn't? 
Do others know the song lyrics by heart and what to do at every church event and you may feel awkward? Well, every believer starts as a baby in Christ. That's normal and that's okay. So you may feel like that, but that's okay. And luckily, hopefully, there's no one in the church handing you a garbage bag or something like that. I'd like to look at 1 Peter verse, chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You know, we are expected to grow in Christ. And that word grow in Christ means there's growing to do. We all start as new believers. And we're at different stages of, of that process. And so the first lesson I want you to know is that's okay. If you can't find something, that's okay. If, if, and so let's go to the second lesson. And these are going to get a little bit more complex. That was, that was real easy. Here's one that probably you don't hear admitted too often. But the Bible is not easy, always easy to read. It seems like some people have... Um, don't have any problems with it. Uh, the Bible is a fascinating book. The stories in Genesis and Exodus are captivating. They're very interesting in other stories. But then you get to Leviticus. And Leviticus can be tough along with other books. So that's the way it is. The Bible is not always easy to read. Um, to understand the Bible, sometimes we need to look at the, the time and the culture in which it was written, to whom it was first written, and we have to understand that the Bible spans anywhere from 3,400 years ago to 1,900 years ago. So a current-day computer programmer might look at and will look at things differently than whom it was written to at the time. So there's various things that we can get that would help us with the concordances, Bible dictionaries, uh, different things like that can help us going to other people. And so that can help us to, to understand. And also... There's things, if I, in fact, Pastor Ron mentioned the, the class that my wife and I teach. And uh, not too long ago, I took a seminary course, as did Butch. I see Butch back there. And they had, they had this, uh, an acronym or whatever you call it, that helps to understand the Bible. And, and it's called, and, and we call it 5-12-5-5-12. And so we memorize that 5-12-5-5-12. Five books of Moses, 12 books of history, 12 books of, of uh, wisdom and poetry, 
five major prophets and 12 minor prophets. And you could take these minor prophets, these major prophets, and the poetry of wisdom and just put them over and they'll fit right in those 12 books of history. And when you understand these things, then the Old Testament makes a whole lot more sense because you understand the foundation. And um, also for the New Testament, we use 4 1 21 1. And that's just memorized 4 1 21 1. Four Gospels, one book of church history, 21 letters. And one book of prophecy, the Revelation. So there's little things that we can learn that help us to understand the Bible and to understand where all those pieces fit in together. And so I would invite you to, if you can, to come to the foundations class that the church is offering that starts in September. And I want to read two verses to you. 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17, which is behind me. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is God-breathed. Some, some of your Bibles say inspired, but we think of inspired as, oh, I'm inspired to write this or that. But when, when, it was, when we see that word in some of our translations, it means God breathed. He breathed out his word on these men that he used to write the scriptures. And so it comes from God. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man, or the unsaved man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When we study God's word, we actually have to go to him and, and have his Holy Spirit teach us the scripture and not only teach us what it means but to teach us how to apply it to to our lives the third thing that new believers especially have a hard time with sometime sometimes is the christian life will have its ups and downs if you have been a christian for any amount of time at all, you know that that's true. It has its ups and downs. But we usually learn this lesson the hard way. I don't know that there's any easy way to learn that, so we learn it the hard way. Christianity has mountains and valleys. Maybe no one told you that when you came to Christ, but because you were so excited, you didn't realize that. But Christianity does have its mountains and valleys. Uh, and here's the thing, oftentimes we assume the down times are the result of a lack of faith or 
an unconfessed sin. And sometimes that's the case. But sometimes God is stretching and testing our faith. Even obedient believers can wrestle with a thorn in the flesh. That's what Paul called it, the Apostle Paul. Even obedient believers can wrestle with a thorn in the flesh. If you look at the, if you look in the, the scriptures, you will see that the characters in the Bible, they all had their ups and their downs. Uh, Elijah, we see him on Mount Carmel calling down fire on the false prophets. <clears throat> Excuse me, only later to be hiding in depression. We see Job, he, we see what happened to him and where he ended up. And, and he had his ups, and then he had extreme downs. We see Joseph. He had a good life, and then his brothers sold him into slavery. He ended up into prison, later to be promoted the prime minister of, of Egypt. We see Peter with his ups, and then we see him denying Christ. But then later in the book of Acts, we see him up again. We see the Apostle John, and when we go to the revelation of Jesus, he's writing that from the Isle of Patmos, the island of Patmos, because he was banished there. But God came and gave him visions of the future. The fourth point I'd like to share with you is you are not alone in your struggles. You may feel like nobody else battles with temptation like you do. That no one has sin lurking in the shadows as you do. Surely every other believer has conquered sin. At least it seems that way on Sunday. Some of you may be so certain of this that you don't want to talk to other believers about your struggles. Well, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. All temptation is, is common. We all go through the same types of temptation. We share in the same struggles. And so that's what we need to understand is we share the same struggles. You know, in James chapter 5, it tells us to share our struggles our hardships, our sins, to share them with one another. We're to be open about it and share it with one another. And why? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We're to encourage one another. We're to build one another up. And when the church is functioning properly, 
That's what happens in the church. Well, the fifth point I like to bring up is the devil is real. The devil is real. Some people don't think of him as really real. Some believers view the devil more as a type of a Halloween character rather than a supernatural enemy against God and his people. The devil is real. And until we finally realize the reality of the devil, we will be tricked into thinking that we can win supernatural battles in our own power. Prayer will not be important, and cries for the power of God will be non-existent. First Peter, under the direction of the Lord, he wrote this, be sober-minded, or that means clear thinking, be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I didn't put it up there, but the start of the next verse says, resist him firm in the faith. There are many verses like this. If the devil was simply a cartoon character type of person or somebody that we could easily defeat, these warnings would not be necessary in Scripture. But to be clear thinking, be watchful, watchful. We're warned to be watchful. Why? Because we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And he wants to devour us. Like a roaring lion. The devil is real and we need to realize that. Some Christians say, well, doesn't the scriptures say that Satan, the devil, has been judged? Yes, it does. But the thing is, the sentence has not been carried out yet. He's been judged. He was judged at the cross. But the sentence has not been carried out yet. And the sentence is yet to come. And he's still free in this world. But... Thank God we had that other verse that God limits how much that he can tempt us and he cannot tempt us beyond our ability. Getting ahead of myself. Here's one that we're probably going to park on for a little while. Many people don't pray well. They don't pray well. Sometimes we hear people pray and their prayers seem so polished, so eloquent, so deep, and we think we could never reach that level of praying. You know what matters to the Lord is sincerity of heart. Not how eloquent we are or how polished I knew a fellow that um, at a church that I went to where I was an assistant pastor, and he asked me to go visit this man and his wife. They used to work for him, 
He said, they haven't been to church lately. Would you go visit them? And the fellow that asked me, he prayed so eloquently. And he was so polished in his prayers. So I called the people and said, so-and-so wants me to come and visit you. Can I visit you? And they said, oh, absolutely. And I came over and I visited them. And I said, you know, so-and-so is so concerned that you're not coming to church. And his wife said to me, if that's the case, why did he beat up my husband? I said, what? Evidently, what happened was he got mad at his employee, so he beat him up. So the guy was no longer his employee, and he quit coming to church. So this person that could pray so eloquently asked me to go visit him. So I went back, and I said, you know, I visited him, and, and I want you to do me a favor. If you ever ask me to go visit anybody else, would you let me know if you've beat him up first? <laughs> you know, eloquence and polish is not necessarily a sign of a sincere heart. Romans 8.26 is likewise the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Did you catch that? We, first off, we're, we're weak. This talking to everybody. We have weaknesses. And it says, for we do not know how to pray as we ought to. That's every one of us. You may be a new believer and think, oh, so-and-so, they just know what, right what to pray, and I don't. Let me tell you, the Scripture says none of us know how to pray as we ought to. And because of that, if we had time, we could go through this whole passage. But did you know that when you pray, the Holy Spirit prays with you to the Father in a heavenly language that only they understand with each other. And the Holy Spirit will take your prayers and repackage them or add to it or whatever you need. So when we pray, even when we're just, we don't know what to pray because we're so maybe distraught. But when we're going to our heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit is praying with us. That is just a wonderful thing. Let me, let me tell you another story about, about prayer. I call it my B12 story. Maybe you've heard it. But uh, about seven years ago, I, I, I was having real difficulty breathing. Just going to the mailbox, I had to stop and, several times and get my breath. So my wife took me to the doctor, but before I went there, I thought, let me think this through. My grandfather had what's called pernicious anemia, and he would just get run down, and he had to go get B12 shots. It's treatable with B12 shots. So I, I thought, well, you know, I'm built like him, like an army tank, and uh, I'm built like him, and so maybe I have that. So I, I looked it up, and one of the things about pernicious anemia was you know, a lack of breath, hard breathing, because the blood, the red blood cells, uh, when you have a lack of B12, the, the red blood cells that carry the oxygen, they get depleted and it does things to them and so forth. And so I did all my research and that's what I had. 
B12 deficiency. So my, so, but then I thought, you know, maybe this doctor, he's, maybe he's not really up on that. There's so much that they have to know. So I did my research. <laughs> I feel stupid telling you this, but it's true. So I made copies of the articles, just in case. <laughs> so my wife, she took me to the doctor and, and we're there. And so I'm t I declared, you know, I told him what the problem was. I told him what my diagnosis was. <laughs> and, then I and then I gave him the paperwork, in case you've forgotten. No, I didn't say it like that, but just, I, you know, I was kind of like, I was reading this, but here, in case you need to refresh your memory. <laughs> and then I declared I needed B12 shots. So he asked me a number of questions. And he got behind me, and he's listening. He says, I'm not here in a heartbeat. And I thought, well, how could that be? And then he said, I don't think your problem is a B12 deficiency. I think it's something else, but let me wait on before I say that. So he had me, they gave me an EKG right away. And you know how when they do EKGs, they, they'll say, well, the doctor will be with you and discuss this with you afterwards. In the middle of the EKG, the nurse said, I have to go get the doctor. Boom. I thought, that's not a good sign. <laughs> so he came back. He looked at this chart, and he said, my worst fears are confirmed. You are in heart failure. And I just, I just, he said, I, and he said, the hospital's two blocks away. You're going to have to go there immediately. I'm calling the hospital ER right now. And from there, I was taken to the ER where I spent close to a week in the cardiac unit of the hospital. And they had to do a number of things, one of which is, I forget the procedure, but they stop your heart and restart it because the top of my heart wasn't even working. It was just fluttering. It wasn't even pumping at all. It was just fluttering. So all the blood I was getting was only from the bottom part of my heart. I, I, I knew somewhat what the problem was. I diagnosed it myself. And I told the doctor how to fix it. Now, mind you, my education includes nothing of, of medicine. You know what? As stupid as that was, I have to admit that there have been times I've done the same thing with the God of the universe. Our Heavenly Father who knows everything, He's omniscient, He knows everything, He knows exactly what the problems are, He can diagnose it correctly. And he can provide the solution.
So I must admit, as stupid as that was with the doctor, I've done the same thing with my Heavenly Father, which probably raises stupid to a higher level. But you know what? We, I'm afraid we all do that from time to time. But God has taught me to go to him now and as best I can talk to him about the problem and ask him to intervene in a way that's within his will. And you know what? It's always better. But I mentioned that God is omniscient. God knows everything. Scripture says he knows our thoughts before we utter them. He knows our heart. He knows everything about us. He knows our weaknesses, our sins. So let me ask you a question. What can you tell a God that already knows everything well, in our Western mind, we would say, I guess we can't tell him anything. He already knows. But you know what you can tell a God who already knows everything? You can tell him anything. You can confess your weaknesses, your struggles. He's not going to be surprised. He's not going to say, oh, I didn't know that. We can... As in 1 John, we can confess our sins, we can ask for his help, we can be open with him. So when we pray, keep in mind that all that matters to our Heavenly Father is sincerity of heart, not how polished we may be. Here's one that, here's one that hurts for some of you. Some people will not share your excitement. When you trust the Lord as your Savior, oftentimes you're so excited. You have found out that Jesus died for you, that he rose again, that he paid the penalty for your sin. And as it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he took your sin upon himself and then gave you his righteousness. It was a double transfer. And we can be so excited. And then we go to our family. And our family doesn't want to hear it. Our friends don't want to hear it. And... Sometimes we end up with new friends, but we can't end up with new family. Now, sometimes our family <laughs> accepts it, but sometimes people don't share in our excitement. Well, you see the verse, Luke 4, 24, and he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus was in Nazareth. That's where he grew up. That was his hometown. He went to a synagogue. And the people of his hometown wouldn't listen to him. They rejected him. And that's when he told them, no prophet is accepted in his own town. He was referring to the prophets of the Old Testament 
who also were not accepted in their hometowns. Maybe it's because of familiarity or whatever, but if you're going through, some people won't share your excitement. Know that you are in good company with Jesus, the Old Testament prophets. I'm sure it happened to the apostles also. We get to this one, the eighth one. Churches are not perfect. I'm sure most of you have figured that out already, but there are not, our new believers, my, my grandmother on my mother's side, she was always shocked when the pastor or people of a church were not perfect. Oh, all she had to do was look at me and she could have figured that one out. But... Um, Churches are filled with people at all stages of Christian development. It's true. But quite frankly, still sinners until we are finally transformed to be like Jesus. We are, we just, we are struggling people that are sinners at various stages of Christian development, but we're not perfect. And if we focus, if you focus on strictly people, um, you are going to be discouraged from time to time because we are not perfect. We have our, uh, we have our ups and downs. <coughs> Excuse me. As I said, we struggle, pardon me, <clears throat> let me give you an example <clears throat> of a car engine. I have a, I was afraid this was going to happen, so I brought a throat trap my throat gets scratchy so when I'm talking if you hear a throat drop you'll know what that is <laughs> hopefully you change your engine oil reg regularly in your car because there's a lot going on in an engine crankshaft camshaft lifters Piston rods, piston sleeves, valve trains. Joe here is following me. <laughs> these parts, these metal parts are all rubbing together. Friction. Well, when they designed the engine, they designed places in the engine for the oil to get in. So that when these parts are rubbing together, there's a film of oil between the parts and this oil they put in all kinds of friction reducers and things like that. Without the oil, the engine would quickly burn up. 
The oil of the church is Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. You may have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I need help being kind. Or give me opportunities to be kind. Maybe because, because of things that's happened to you in life, you are more hard-hearted than tender-hearted. You may have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, please knock off some of this hardness and give me a tender heart. You may have to go to the Lord, say, Lord, I know I'm supposed to forgive my brother or sister, but I'm struggling with that. Would you give me forgiveness? But this, this is the oil of the church, forgiveness. And as I close on the last point, our music ministry is coming up and I'm going to let the scripture pretty much speak for itself. God will always be faithful. It bears repeating, God will always be faithful. Psalm 37, 25, this is written by King David. I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 to 23. Written by the prophet Jeremiah. He said the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is faithful. And then the last verse, I want to preface with a question. What about, thou, what about those times that our faith fails? And those times happen. Second Timothy Chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.